Good morning, everyone. Welcome to God's house, the Bethel, to the Lord's table. And we meet together to remember Jesus and the peace that he sends to our hearts if we turn to him and seek him faithfully. We're going to open our service of worship and remembrance by standing and singing together from the Green Christophian hymn book, hymn 83. Uh, when I chose this hymn, when I was presiding a few months ago, mainly to rescue, I think is an amazing hymn in praise of our God and Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of, our be- of believers. Um, but I also discovered that it's the favourite hymn of at least one person in this congregation. So now we have two good reasons to sing it together. So we'll stand and sing together. Glory and blessing be ever ascribed to thee, uncreate unity, Father of all. And after that, we'll remain standing and pray together. The lives we once led into new lives in Jesus. You've called us this morning away from the lives that we lead to the peace and security that we find in our fellowship with you, and our Lord Jesus around his table of bread and wine, around a promise that we have been, we can be, we will be changed, that you will send your peace into our hearts and peace in the troubled world when Jesus comes again. Amen. We will spend some time in a few minutes bringing God before God in prayer. People and things that need his help and blessing and situations into which we need his peace to come. Before that, we're going to sing our next hymn together. It's from Praise the Lord 250. It's a prayer. It's a prayer for the Lord to quietness in our distress that God will come and raise up the hands that hang down and strengthen our feeble needs and a prayer that we might be filled with the peace of God and I think we should stay seated as we sing this and maybe go a couple of times through. Let's share news of those that we love. Thanks to Christine for finding out about Gladys and Ian who are still in Trafford General there's open visiting on both wards, but not at mealtimes. Uh, Heather Jameson is still not at pain and appreciates our prayers. Uh, she has an appointment on the 16th of December for an injection, which we hope will give her some relief. Is there anything else that we should pray about this morning? We have people who are unwell in hospital, people who are unwell and awaiting treatment or diagnosis, people with busy lives and hardships to face, people grieving and struggling to come to terms with what that might mean for themselves and their future. So in some peace and quiet now, I will leave you some time to bring those people before God in prayer to think about and pray for the things that you've brought with you on your heart this morning. Um, And in a few months' time, I will lead us together in another prayer. with us in this place. Thank you for hearing 
the cries that we give voice to in our words, the cries that our hearts and minds and spirits give voice to silently. We rejoice in your understanding and your capacity to bring peace in different ways into all these different human situations. Help us to take confidence in your listening and confidence in the peace that you send into our hearts. Help us to be patient but persevering, never giving up as we joyfully and sorrowfully walk our way through our own lives into the life of your kingdom. Amen. If you haven't spotted the unsubtle hints in the voluntaries and in the words that I've been using, David's theme this morning is about peace. And that set of thoughts are coming to us from Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica um, and chapter 3. Joe is going to come and read that to us uh, and then Dave will come and speak to us. Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how... You ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we did not have the right to to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for, for you to follow. But even when we were with you, We gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you, Joe. David, come and encourage us. Thank you, Richard. Morning, everyone. 
both of Paul's letters to the new church at Thessalonica are quite difficult, at least I think so. In the first letter, for instance, he, he tries to explain to the new believers about the return of Christ and about the situation regarding those who will die before he returns. And there are a couple of interesting bits of advice in the last chapter on how a church should operate. The, uh, the first is live at peace with one another. And the second is to tell them to warn those who are idle and disruptive, a theme uh, to which, uh, as you just heard, he returns in, in the second letter. And it does seem that, uh, <clears throat> that the Thessalonians may have misunderstood or perhaps even ignored parts of his first letter to them because it seems that in the second letter he has to go back and cover again some of his earlier messages. For instance, in, in chapter 2 of the second letter, he seems to be correcting some ideas that they have about the return of Christ. And then in, in chapter 3, he returns to the question of idleness among church members. And some commentators suggest that, uh, that some members had actually given up working as they waited for the day of the Lord. And as a result, had become dependent on fellow church members for support. Now, whilst it might be interesting sometime to explore the background uh, to this in, in ancient Thessalonica, I'm not sure it's really exhortation material, especially from me, since I no longer work, <laughs> and, and therefore I rely to some extent on your taxes to provide part of, of my income. So I, I, won't, I won't go down that, that road. So I decided on uh, another path, uh, and I was reminded of that advice from the first letter, <coughs> live at peace with one another. And it struck me that, that peace was a theme that we could follow and that Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 was actually, and, and perhaps unexpectedly, uh, a good starting point, or perhaps I should say a good finishing point for just such a theme. Uh, and that's all because of, of verse 16 which we read and which says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And it's a, a part of the so-called salutation, of course, the, the final greeting at the end of the letter. Now, uh, as I'm, I'm sure you'll know, all of Paul's letters have an initial greeting and a final greeting. Uh, and if we're not careful, we, we might ignore them and concentrate more on the, on the bodies of the letters. But if we do ignore them, we might just, I think, miss something important. Uh, have you noticed that all of Paul's letters begin with the phrase, grace and peace to you? And almost all of them end with a reference to grace, and many of them with a reference to peace, and sometimes both. But none of them, I think, have such a profound reference to peace as that in chapter 3, uh, verse 16 of Second Thessalonians. We'll come back to that verse later as we explore, as I intend to, what peace means to us. So what is 
peace and what does the Bible say about the nature of peace and how it might be achieved. Well, I suppose the, the question is complicated by the fact that there are obviously two meanings in English of the word peace, which we might call external peace and internal peace. Actually, I think that's an oversimplification, but I'm going to go with it for now. Uh, and in any case, uh, I think we might discover they are, to some extent, linked. Now, external peace is what we might define simply as the absence of war. Historians have apparently worked out that in the last 3,000 years or so, there have been only a little over 250 years when, as far as they can tell, the world has been totally free from war. And uh, another statistic that they've come up with is, is that in the past 300 years, there have been 286 wars on the continent of Europe alone. However, if, if I might be permitted a little diversion, did you know that none of those wars have been between nations that were at the time constituent states of the European Union? And whatever you might feel about the EU, it has without a doubt achieved its original express purpose, which was to prevent war between member states by controlling the two industries, iron and coal, that at the time when the EU began were the, the core elements of arms production. And all the rest, free trade and open borders and political and financial integration and so on, all the rest came later. Now, I don't know what you, you think of so-called Brexit, uh, but the Christadelphian magazine was quick to put out what the publishing committee obviously want to be seen as the official view. Um, this was in the August uh, edition uh, this year. It was repeated in the September issue. And where more than one contributor stated that Bible students would not have been surprised at the outcome of the referendum, uh, citing one interpretation of, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 38. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave you to, to look up the articles for yourself and compare them to the prophecy. Um, one writer even went so far as to imply that the referendum result had been manipulated by, and I quote, angelic hands. Or well, whatever you think of that, uh, I for one am I'm truly grateful to our Heavenly Father for the privilege of, of living my life in a place and at a time of peace. Sadly, that's not the case for many people in many parts of our world. Uh, the wonders of technology enables us now to see men and women and children in, in the Middle East and in Africa and elsewhere, desperate for peace, aching for an end to the killing and the destruction. Uh, and it is another privilege of ours to read and, and to understand, we believe, God's promise of a future time of real and lasting peace. Sometimes we may think that the Bible concentrates solely on, on what I call the internal peace. Uh, but, you know, it, it does also make a very big issue of a future without war. Uh, 
something that our politicians have, have utterly failed to achieve despite many attempts. Isaiah 2 verse 4 springs to mind, of course. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword or AK-49 or cruise missile for that matter against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And the famous statue of a man fashioning a plow out of a sword, which stands outside the United Nations headquarters in New York, remains little more than an embarrassing reminder of mankind's failure to implement uh, Isaiah chapter 2. I suppose the failure is inevitable if you recognise that the context of those early verses of Isaiah 2 seems to be the intervention of God in the affairs of men, and especially if you link it with Isaiah chapter 11, which introduces that descendant of Jesse who will come in the spirit of the Lord and will bring a time when, verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this is clearly Jesus, the Prince of Peace, in every sense of the word. Is he really uh, the Prince of, of external peace? Yes, yes, of course he is. Let's invoke those angels again. Personally, I'm, I'm not too keen on the idea of them interfering in the EU referendum, but that there's one intervention that we can be absolutely sure of, and it's this. There were, as Luke reports in those oh-so-familiar words, shepherds living out in the fields near to Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And they received a message from a host of angels who said, in effect, that the two consequences of the birth of Jesus would be glory to God and peace on earth to those people on whom God's favour rests. And you can think of that, can't you, as a, as a brief synopsis of the kingdom of God in the presence of the king. Worldwide peace in an atmosphere of glory and praise to God. And I believe that those angels were promising a time without war, a situation that would, in a sense, begin even then with the presence on earth of the baby whom the shepherds were sent to see and would be validated by the life and the death of Jesus and would become reality on his return as the Prince of Peace in the Kingdom of God. We long for the return of Christ, and we pray for it to come soon. But in the meantime, we, we live in a world where a lack of internal peace all too often leads to a lack of external peace at some level, whether it be international war at one extreme or, or petty squabbling at the other. James, in, in chapter 4 of his letter, recognises the age-old human characteristic, verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Unfulfilled desires, often unfulfilled inappropriate desires, can so easily rob us of our internal peace, which in turn can lead us into bouts of antisocial and unchristian behaviour. 
as James puts it, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. There was nothing new, of course, in that, even then. Uh, I'm reminded of the, of the Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. And God had, at an early stage, warned his people about this danger. Why do you think he told them in Exodus 20 that they were not to covet someone else's wife or servants or animals or indeed anything? Here's why. Because envy takes away your peace of mind and it can lead to godless behavior, sometimes of the most terrible kind. The Bible confirms it. Think of Ahab, for instance, who wanted Naboth's vineyard. Think of David, who wanted Uriah's wife. And of course, it's also true the other way around. An absence of external peace on a grand scale or a minor scale can take away our internal peace, peace of mind and peace of heart. So let's look at this for a moment from the aspect of, of internal peace, but without forgetting the inevitable link to external peace. <clears throat> we, we all want this peace, don't we? Uh, the, the theologian and missionary Albert Schweitzer wrote this. In the hearts of people today, there is a deep longing for peace. When the true spirit of peace is thoroughly dominant, it becomes an inner experience with unlimited possibilities. Only when this really happens, when the spirit of peace awakens and takes possession of men's hearts, can humanity be saved from perishing. And the problem with that, uh, as we all know, is that it, even in spite of our best intentions, human nature isn't very good at achieving it. What we need is some help from outside ourselves, something that, if possible, we can keep close to us, even absorb within us. And that being so, I'd like to offer you another quotation, this time from a rather unexpected source, but one uh, which I rather like. Uh, these are the words of of Black Elk, a Native American from Dakota who died in, in 1950. Uh, his wife converted to Christianity, and uh, I think after a fashion, so did he. Uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean. The first piece, he said, is that which comes within the souls of people when they realize their relationship, their oneness, with the universe and all its powers, and when they realize that at the center of the universe dwells the great spirit, and that this center is really everywhere, it is within each of us. Okay, so that's not quite how we might have put it, nor is it quite how the Bible words it. Uh, but I suggest that that kind of message is plainly there for us to see throughout the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, because the New Testament is the story of how Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, came to sow the seeds of peace in our hearts, if only we will let them grow.
remember what Jesus said, recorded in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Now, if Jesus had merely said, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid, uh, we might have felt that that wasn't very helpful because it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? For most of us, life is full of circumstances that all too easily unsettle us. But that wasn't all that he said. He explained why we really can have peace. It's because it's God's peace and it comes to us through Jesus and because of Jesus who gives it to us. Who gives it to us. We need to know what that means, of course. The peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble. The evidence of, of our daily life confirms that. The peace that Jesus gives is the confidence we can have that whatever life throws at us, he is always there with us, holding our hand and, and reminding us, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And notice that uh, this is a special kind of peace that's only available, the Bible tells us, to those who have heard the call to become part of God's family through their special relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. As Paul wrote in an earlier chapter, chapter 5 of Romans, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Okay, there's a, there's a danger that by pointing that out, I might seem to be taking a rather negative line, as if suggesting that God punishes those who reject him by deliberately withholding peace from them. But that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I don't believe that that's God's way of doing things. He's not a vindictive God. So what I'm saying is that, that people who put their trust in God and in Jesus will find a peace in their lives that simply escapes those who don't share that faith. As Jesus said, he doesn't give as the world gives. His gift of peace is more subtle than that. It comes to us through the confidence that we have in his love for us. It's all there in the Bible, isn't it? God's word keeps reminding us through the words and deeds of Jesus and others of the love of God for us and of what it can lead to in our lives. Real peace. We've already mentioned how Paul talks of peace at the beginning and the end of many of his letters. Towards the end of Romans, chapter 15, verse 33, his farewell message is very specific. The God of peace be with you all, he writes. The God of peace be with you. What more 
could you wish for than that? And here's another quote, some, some wise words. I'm not sure who said them, but they, they surely are wise and true. And it's this, you cannot know the peace of God until you know the God of peace. How can we know the God of peace? Well, through our relationship with Jesus and through prayer. And the result is that we can experience the peace of God. Here's how Paul describes the process in another letter, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we want to know the peace of God, we must welcome the God of peace into our lives. How can we do that? Well, here's some practical advice from the Apostle Paul. We can live, he says, in a way that will show our desire to please him. And reading on in Philippians now, chapter four, uh, still chapter 4, sorry, now, um, verse 8. Uh, and, and you'll know the words well. Paul writes this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about these things. But, but don't just think about them, says verse 9, put them into practice. And the result, now I'm quoting from verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. So in order to experience true peace, we need to have confidence in God's promise that he, the God of peace, will be with us. And all of these things bring us back then to, to that final greeting in the last few verses of Second Thessalonians. Both of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians seem to suggest that they, the Thessalonians, were, were struggling to find peace among themselves and individually. So his farewell blessing takes the form of this prayer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Isn't that wonderful? He reminds them, he reminds us too, that this peace beyond all human understanding can be experienced continually and in all circumstances because it is the gift of God, the God of peace and his son, the Prince of Peace. And did you notice the emphasis? The Lord of peace himself, it says. Life may be throwing at you all kinds of trouble and unsettling situations, but you can have peace at all times and in every way because the Lord of peace himself is always with you.
Thank you, David. With the reassurance of God's peace in our hearts, we're going to come together soon and share bread and wine together. Before that, we're going to sing together Annex's hymn. It comes from the Green Christophan Hymn Book. It's hymn 335. Though we walk in weakness, thy strength shall be our stay. Undaunted by the darkness, we wait the coming day. We'll stand and sing together hymn 335. David reminded us of Jesus' words to his disciples after they had shared that Passover meal, that first breaking of bread service together. Peace is my parting gift to you. My own peace, such as the world cannot give. Set your troubled hearts at rest and banish your fears. The events that followed were, perhaps from the perspective of his disciples, their first big test of that gift of peace that Jesus had given them. And I'm particularly struck in a post-Brexit American referendum world by how timeless the machinations of politicians sometimes are. Post-truth is now the word of the year, and perhaps it's a phrase that Pilate would have used if he'd known about it. We read, Pilate went back into his headquarters and summoned Jesus. So you are the king of the Jews, he said. And Jesus replied, is that your own question, or have others suggested it to you? Am I a Jew, said Pilate. Your own nation and their chief priests have brought you before me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If it did, followers would be fighting to save me from the clutches of the Jews. My kingdom belongs elsewhere. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, king is your word. My task is to bear witness to the truth. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world. And all who are not deaf to truth, listen to my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? And he sent him out and had an inscription written and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And this inscription in Hebrew, Latin and Greek was read by many Jews since the place where Jesus was crucified was not far from the city. And so the Jewish chief priest said to Pilate, you should not write king of the Jews, but rather he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I've written, I have written. And after this, Jesus, aware that all had now come to its appointed end, said in fulfilment of scripture, I'm thirsty. A jar stood there full of sour wine. And so they set sponge with the wine and fixed it on a hyssop and held it up to his lips. And having received the wine, he said, It is accomplished. And then he bowed his head and gave his spirit. We break bread and Charles will come and lead our thanks for this as we have come to share it together. Father God, 
Lord, we've been thinking of you as a God of peace. And so often in our lives, peace is the first, furthest thing from what we experience. The stress and the strain, the anxiety, the turbulence. But Lord, as we take this piece of bread, help us to deeply experience your peace. Because deep is what it is. It's deeper than the superficial experience of our lives. It's deeper than any arguments or falling out. It's deeper than the circumstances of the days. It's an eternal peace. And Lord Jesus, we think of you and the peace you found amidst the violence and the hatred of your crucifixion. The peace that led you to make arrangements for your loved ones who are there watching you. The peace that led you to seek forgiveness for those who are nailing you to the cross. Lord Jesus, we take this bread which reminds us of your body. May we experience a token of that peace. Amen. Jesus says, this is my body given for you. So Jesus died and was taken by Joseph and Nicodemus and buried and lay in the tomb until the first day of the week. And when people came to pay respect and reverence to him, they found that the tomb was empty and the body they'd expected to find was mysteriously absent. And late that same day, the first day of the week, when the disciples were together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he showed them his hands and his side. On seeing the Lord, the disciples were overjoyed. And Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he breathed on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. John's going to come and lead our prayer of thanks for the wine that we are about to share. Almighty Creator, our loving Heavenly Father, we've been reminded this morning of the beauty and power of your peace. And at a time in recent days, the world has been commemorating the savagery of war we recall the statement of one of its leaders at the end of the last war, who said that never before in the field of human conflict is so much owed by so many to so few. And the principle of those words comes to mind this morning, Heavenly Father, when we remember that never before throughout the time of human history is so much owed by so many to one man who was the Lord of Peace, who came to the world to live as you are, to demonstrate to the world exactly as you are, loving, forgiving, kind, generous, and peaceful. And because of that, his blood was shed mercilessly. And even after that, he prayed 
for the peace and forgiveness of those who tortured and killed him. And that is a most fabulous and living example to us. And we don't want this morning's meeting just to be words and ideas. We want it to be a powerful input into our hearts and into our inner peace that we can show to one another and to the world the power and beauty of your presence and that the kingdom we want to live in is in your kingdom and a kingdom of peace and it will come about. So please accept our thanks for this opportunity of remembering the shed blood of this man of peace, the saviour of the world, and help us to be covered by it and to walk in the footsteps that he left us to walk in and to come into your kingdom. We offer our prayer and give you our thanks in his name. Amen. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. Some versions of 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5 have this. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And it's from those words came some of the inspiration for the last hymn that we'll sing together. In the hope of bearing his bright image, rejoicing in his present gift of grace, his love shall keep our hearts in patient waiting till in glorious beauty we see his face. We're going to sing this hymn and then we'll sit and instead of having a prayer from somebody at the front, we will sing to each other, the Lord bless thee and keep thee, the Lord make his face shine upon thee, the Lord be gracious unto thee, the Lord lift his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. So we'll stand and sing 388 together and then sit and sing as a blessing, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. <laughs>